Revelation chapter 11. Uh, we're still in a parenthetical passage of Scripture. We're going to talk about the two witnesses in uh, Revelation 11. And uh, God is describing a break in the action of the tribulation, cares for uh, of some of the heavenly business. And I mentioned uh, in our last study, and I know that's been a long time ago since we skipped a Sunday here, uh, but uh, this is kind of one of those passages kind of difficult to interpret. But uh, let me remind you that there are two facts to keep in mind. We are in Jewish ground. The images and the words used are Jewish in nature. Uh, we're dealing with events related to the future. The, uh, the book of Revelation details future events, and I think any other interpretation destroys its meaning and purpose. In verses 1 and 2, we looked at already uh, the new Jewish temple would be built in Jerusalem. The Jews would consecrate a priesthood, and they would offer animal sacrifices described in the law of Moses. Uh, They're going to worship God under the old covenant, not recognizing the fact that Jesus shed his precious blood, which we just remembered in our uh, observance of the Lord's table. But uh, Jesus shed his blood to save souls, the souls of humanity, and they didn't, they're not recognizing that here. And the next vision that we're given is that of two special witnesses, God sends two ambassadors from heaven to preach his gospel message to the people in Jerusalem. And to these men and their ministries that we want to look at this afternoon. So the first thing is the ministry of the two witnesses. In verse uh, 3 through 7, we're going to see here, first of all, how their ministry is designed. Verse 3, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and two candlesticks standing before God of the earth. These two, uh, and we're supposing them to be men, are raised up for a special purpose. These two verses tell us about how and what they're going to be sent to do. First of all, they're called witnesses. That word Trans, uh, the word that translates the word there gives us our English word, martyr. Uh, the word originally referred to someone who gave testimony about something, a witness. And yet, as, as so many Christians began to give their lives for the cause of Christ, the word came to be associated with those who gave their lives for their faith. And these two men who have come to witness to God's truth, and as we shall see, they're going to give their lives for him as well. They are sent as a team. God always has his witnesses. You know, in the days before the flood, God had Noah. In the dark days of idolatry in Israel, the prophet Elijah complained to the Lord that he was alone to fight against sin. God told him there are over 7,000 that had not bowed their knee to Baal. God has always his witnesses and his team of witnesses. Moses and Aaron, Joshua and Caleb, Paul and Silas. And God sends two witnesses because he wants the truth to be established. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, my word shall be established, he said in the New Testament. 
And that's what the law stipulated. You find that in Deuteronomy and, and also Matthew 18. Uh, they were sent to prophesy. What would be the content of their message? No, no one know, knows that for sure. But I think they will stand outside the newly completed temple and preach Jesus to the Jews. And they will talk about how Jesus Christ had fulfilled all the types and all the symbols. They're going to tell of his death and his resurrection and his return. And they will prove from the word of God that the temple and its worship is vain. So they're going to preach the gospel of grace and salvation through Jesus Christ. They're going to tell people that the Antichrist is going to des desecrate the temple. And these men will be hated by the Jew and the Gentile because of the message that they will preach. They will be clothed in sackcloth. Now, sackcloth is a symbol of mourning. These men will not come with a message of peace, of comfort, and hope. They will bring a message of condemnation and judgment to a wayward people. Their ministry will last for three and a half years. Now, while we cannot be sure of when their ministry will begin, we can be safely say it will commence their preaching sometime after the temple is built there in Jerusalem. And then they're described as olive trees and candlesticks. Now, those are symbols of God's hand upon their ministry. The olive tree is a source of olive oil. It's often a type of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. These men are anointed by the Spirit of God for their particular ministry. And the olive tree speaks of unction. The candlestick speaks of function. They will come to bring the light of God's message to a dark world. So these are, uh, the, this is how their ministry is, is described, is designed. Notice, secondly, how their ministry is defended. Verse 5. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These two men will be extremely unpopular because of the message they've been sent to deliver. And as a result, many will try to kill them. But these men are under divine protection. Everyone who tries to kill them will be killed by them. Uh, they will have the power to destroy their attackers with fire from their mouths. Now, as long you're, as you're in God's will, you actually are invincible. Did you know that? Now, that doesn't mean you go around flexing your muscles. But it's, if you're in God's will, uh, no one can hurt you. No one can take your life. God has the appointment for your life. And uh, he will keep his hedge of protection around you. He will keep you safe until it's time for him to take you home to glory. Until the Lord gets finished with you, no man, no devil, no virus, no disease can harm you. And that doesn't mean everything's easy. But God will take care of you. So then we have their ministry described. Verse 6. These have power to shut heaven, and it will rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. 
These two men will be able to use miraculous signs to prove the authenticity of their message. They will be able to shut up the heavens as Elijah did. They'll be able to turn water to blood. They'll be able to call down plagues from heaven as Moses did. They will have immense power at their disposal, and they will be able to use it whenever they wish. Now, I think there are many modern preachers who claim to have the ability to perform miracles. The only problem with that is that they're liars. They're not healing. They're not raising the dead. And they're charlatans. They're hucksters who only care about getting their hands on the money of those deluded people who fall for their lies. But these two witnesses, on the other hand, will be the real deal. They're going to preach God's message and validate it with wonders and miracles. Now, before we go deeper into this passage, let me just talk, um, take a minute and talk about who these men might be. First, let me say, no one knows for sure. So the only thing we can do is kind of make a best guess, perhaps. The Bible does not identify them. He doesn't say, well, one witness is so-and-so and the other witness is so-and-so. He doesn't say that. So maybe a couple of guesses, and, uh, and I'll give you the reasons why I would guess these uh, as being the possible witnesses. One would could be Moses and Elijah. According to Malachi 4.5, Elijah will return before Jesus comes. John the Baptist fulfilled this prophecy according to Jesus in Matthew 11 and 17. And yet Malachi says that Elijah will, would come. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. You might also consider that Elijah never died in the light of Hebrew, Hebrews 9.27. I said, we all have an appointment with God. When is Elijah's appointment? Is appointed unto men wants to die. Elijah never died. And consider the fact that one of the miracles of the two witnesses will perform will be the stopping of the rain. Well, that sounds like that's Elijah territory. One of Elijah's miracles, 1 Kings 17.1, And the Elijah the Tishbite, who was the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now, as for Moses, he's mentioned in Malachi 4.4, just before Elijah is mentioned in verse 5. And the miracles performed by the two witnesses are, uh, are similar to those performed by Moses in Exodus. So it very could well be that it was Moses and Elijah. Remember, Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. So I think that's a good guess. I don't know, because the Bible doesn't tell me. Secondly, it could be Enoch with Moses or Elijah. Now, again, Enoch did not die. He was translated. He was walking with God. God said, come to my house. And uh, so it could be Enoch with either Moses or Elijah. Enoch was a preacher of righteousness. The book of Jude tells us. Enoch never tasted death. But here's one thing for sure. 
We won't know until they come. All right? You say, really, preacher? Well, see, that's the only thing we do know. Now, those other things are good guesses, maybe. But I don't know for sure. So the ministry of these two witnesses. Okay, then secondly, the murder of these two witnesses. See this in verses 7 through 10. And we find, first of all, the reason for their deaths in verse 7. And they shall have finished their testimony. The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. When they have finished their appointed ministry, the Antichrist will be allowed to kill them. And until that moment, though, they are protected by the hand of God, and they cannot be killed. We're told that they were killed by the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit. Now that's a reference to Antichrist. He's called the beast 38 times in the book of Revelation. He ascends out of hell himself, letting us know that he is demonically charged, demonically controlled, and he will make war with the witnesses. He will be allowed to overcome them and kill them. And again, we'll learn more about him in coming weeks. But I think there's a real nugget of truth here that I think we as saints of God need to take hold of. Death is not in the hands of man or of a devil. Death is in the hands of God Almighty. God decides when people leave this world, and you cannot die until he says it's time. So many people live their lives in fear of death. Now, it's easy to understand why people would be fearful. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Well, we don't need to live our lives in fear of death because there is going to be a day when we, uh, if the Lord doesn't come, we are going to die. And many times we fail to grasp the truth that death is powerless against us until God severs the cord of life and allows death to claim that soul. And so there is therefore no need to fear men, to fear armies, to fear devils. You will not die until it's time, and you will not live a second longer when he says your time is up. That's hard for us to get a hold of, isn't it? It's just something we just have a hard time understanding. So the, find here the reason for their deaths. It was time. God allowed it. Secondly, the reaction to their deaths, verse 8 through 10. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of great city, which spiritually is called Sodom, and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and of kindreds and of tongues and nations shall see de their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because of these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. The bodies of these men will be left in the streets, the very streets where they are killed. They will lay there in Jerusalem, and no one will, be, will remove these bodies or attempt to even bury them. Verse 9 tells them that all the people of the earth will see this sight. Now, you know, 50 years ago, you'd say, how in the world could that happen? How could everybody in the world see this? We, we know today, 
We've seen things today that we thought we'd never see. In our day, we see live events. We see the war that's taking place in Ukraine. I've never been there. You know, we can see live events around the world, 24 hours a day. Satellite technology has made it possible for us to see what's happening on the other side of the world. It'll take less than eight seconds delay in time. Cable news channels, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, all that will broadcast these images of these two dead prophets around the clock. And then verse 10 tells us that the people of the earth will rejoice because these two men are dead. It's kind of, I'm reminded of the rejoicing that took place when 9-11 took place and the planes went into the Twin Towers and the rejoicing in the Arab countries, the, the celebration. America has been attacked. How did they know? They saw the images. For three and a half years, these men have preached the gospel and caused plagues to be poured out on men, and now they're dead, and the world is celebrating. They act as if it were Christmas. Did you read that? They're going to give gifts to each other. They're going to say, you know, we're going to have a celebration. We're going to exchange gifts because these men are dead. Why do they do this? Because the preaching of these two witnesses drove them crazy. We're talking about a world that has rejected Jesus Christ and his blood. They've turned a deaf ear to the Bible, to Bible preaching. They've given their allegiance to the devil. They do not want to hear about God. And these men have been preaching the truth, and their message of judgment and condemnation has gotten under their skin. And now they're dead, and the world is throwing a party. By the way, this is the only scene of joy on the earth during the whole tribulation. There's, and they are happy because God's men are dead and God's message is silent. What a tragedy. Now, just for the record, the world will rejoice when old-time Bible preaching is finally silenced. Now, people love the preaching of this crowd that exalts the flesh. They like these I guess you'd call them namby-pamby, milk-toast preachers that tell people they're okay, you're going to be fine. But the world hates preaching that exalt Christ, demands holiness. The world hates preaching that stands on the Bible and says there is no other way. There's only one way to heaven. The world cannot stand preaching that closes the door of salvation to homosexuals, to abortionists, to murderers, to sinners who won't repent of their sins. Now, he doesn't close his door to those people, but unless they don't repent of their sin and turn to Jesus by faith. But the world hates preaching that magnifies Jesus. They don't want to hear it. That's why the homosexuals and the abortionists and those are going such going crazy about things these days, and they're having their protests because of people who uh, are preaching the word of God and saying that this, these things are, are sin, these things are wrong. 
they're going to rejoice when it's gone. And then they can settle in and listen to the prophets of love and acceptance that flood the airwaves and be happy as they plunge headlong into hell. That's what's happening even today. So the ministry of the two witnesses, the murder of the two witnesses, and then the miracle of the two witnesses. Verse 11 through 14. First of all, there's the miracle of their awakening. Verse 11. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. That would uh, kind of wake you up, wouldn't it? See these two men dead in the street? And all of a sudden, they get up. The bodies of these men are allowed to lie there for three and a half days. The world has watched their bodies turn blue in all kinds of colors and pass through various stages of rigor mortis, and they begin to maybe bloat, kind of like those deer along the highway. It's disgusting, right? Then a strange thing happens. These bodies begin to stir. Two witnesses stand to their feet. And the world trembles in fear. Why does the world react in fear? The fact that these men are alive again after being dead for three days proves that they are the real deal. People know that they are men of God. The message that they were preaching is true, and perhaps they will understand this is the work of God. Perhaps they have a brief moment in time when they understand that they're headed for judgment. Again, I bring up the 9-11 incident. I remember that very well. Do you remember how you felt when you watched those airplanes go through those buildings? Do you remember the anguish and the fear and the worry, perhaps? Oh no, what's going to happen now to our country? Even though I was hundreds of miles away from where it happened, you could kind of feel that in your heart. What's going to happen now? Imagine what these people are feeling. In the midst of their celebration, they're interrupted by a resurrection. And they'll watch it, live TV. They'll see it for themselves. They're interrupted by proof positive that God, not man, not Satan, not the Antichrist, is really in control. <coughs> Excuse me. This too shall come to pass. Secondly, the miracle of their ascension, verse 12. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And while the world's watching here, the Lord's going to reenact the rapture. The two witnesses will rise up into heaven, and the world will see what it missed out on when Jesus came. And maybe they will comprehend in that moment of time what happened to the millions of people that disappeared at the rapture. The world will be given a clear testimony of the power of God Almighty, Satan, Antichrist, and the lost man will be reminded that God is in control of the world and all that happens in it. 
They'll be helpless to stop this resurrection, this rapture of the two witnesses. And then the miracle of their avengement, verse 13. In the same hour was there a great earthquake, and a tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain men, 7,000, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Before the world can catch its breath, a great earthquake will hit Jerusalem. God judges the city which had denied him and his Christ. Tenth part of the city will crumble to the ground. Seven thousand people will die. We're told that a remnant were affrighted and gave glory to God of heaven. And perhaps that is referring to a remnant of the Jews. But they see these events and they repent of their sins and they call on Christ for salvation. And God will use even these events to bring glory to his name. And then verse 14 says, The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. You see, more horrors are on the way. The worst is yet to come, and we're going to look uh, into far more horrible things in the coming weeks. Let me just close with this thought. We think our world is in bad shape, and it is. We talk about the wickedness of men. We talk about the hardness of of human hearts. We talk about the evil that flourishes all around us, but think about this. We are living in a world that is inhabited by redeemed people of God. There are many, many people on this earth that are saved. They're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Here in the Bible is being preached. It's being preached around the world by uh, many of our, our, our missionaries who are out in various places. And the Holy Spirit is here suppressing the evil and hindering its spread in the world. Even though things are looking really bad, we still have the Holy Spirit here on earth, indwelling believers. In the tribulation period, those pre-rapture believers will be gone. You and I will be gone. There's no one going to be here praying for the world. The Bible will be taken out of circulation. You can almost guarantee the fact it won't be preached in power and authority. And the Spirit of God will leave when we leave. A world like that can grow more evil than you and I can even comprehend. And I'm glad I'm saved, and I'm glad I'm not going to be here for those awful days. Amen. I trust you're saved this afternoon. You're trusting Jesus as your personal Savior. If not, you can be. If you've strayed away from him, you can come home to him today. If you have loved ones and acquaintances who will be left here for the horrors of the tribulation, you can at least pray for them. At the very least, we need to call on the Lord and ask him to send us another revival, at least one more revival before the end comes. There's a multitude that needs to be saved. We all have friends, we have family, we have neighbors that need to be saved. And So the prayer request was given this morning that we have the opportunity to witness. Let's keep that prayer request high on our list. Lord, give me someone today I can give the gospel. 
Let's ask him to use us to reach them before it's too late. Let's pray. Father in heaven,